The presenting sponsor of this episode of Banana Island Living Podcast is Banana Island School. Banana Island School is a school with happy kids and very high expectations. So why don't you check them out? Uh, go to mail at bananaislandschool.com. Go to the website www.bananaislandschool.com or just check them out on Instagram at Banana Island SCH. That's Banana Island SCH. Welcome to another edition of Banana Island Living Podcast. My name is Shadi. Today's episode is an interesting one. I came across this gentleman through a, a previous um, guest who says he's led an amazing, fascinating life. I called him up. We had a chat and we were on the phone for like hours. <laughs> So yeah, it's my distinct pleasure today to introduce you to... Yeah, let him introduce himself. I'm not even going to say his name. You tell us. My name is Uzo Nzogu. Okay. Uzo Nzogu. Yes. And, Regular uh, Nigerian. Of course. No, don't let the name fool you. He's a Lagos boy. He's a, he's a Gregorian. He's a Maryland uh, primary school. So yeah, oh, that name is just photo trick. <laughs> his Yoruba is even better than any Yoruba person's own. So yeah, and I'm really thrilled to be speaking to you today. Um, and I'll I'll just do a little bit of your bio, if you don't mind, but a very small part of it, because um, you've done quite a lot. Now, now, Uzo is one of those incredible people who, he started out as a fine artist, studied at um, University of Nigeria in Suka. And yeah, who, I mean, we were talking about this the last time we spoke and were you uh, under Elenatsui or the name of some of your lecturers was just mind-blowing. I had um, Bruce Onobrape in my formative years. Oh, wow. I, I learned something from him. It's not, you don't learn from, you don't learn on account of teaching. But you watch somebody and right. make, make up your mind the kind of person you, you have and what you want to be, want your life to be. So there was a Bruce and Rappaper and Ella Nassi, those were the two major moving teachers I had. Wow. But Insuka was particularly lucky to have all these greats. And you were there 1978 to 1983. I mean, those were incredible years. I remember in Nigerian education, those years were awesome. I mean, we had Shoinka in Ife, Koli Omotosho. All these people were still in Nigeria then. And Olarotimi. Olarotimi, you know, that. The, yes. And, and now all of them are, are gone. But yes, you studied fine and applied art at University of Nigeria in Suka after... Uh, being at St. Gregory's College, the St. Gregory's College. Um, and then you decided not to practice fine art. What, what happened? Okay, um, fine art was a decision I made for two reasons. I had a father who was an accountant, right. and I considered him stingy. And he paid my bills, but somehow he wasn't free with his funds. And I looked at it like, hey, with this kind of people, I don't want to be this kind of people. 
Uh, now I know that he was quite circumspect. Mm. But as a teenager, you don't understand that your father has certain things in his scale of preferences. Yeah. The other part was that I looked at the whole world and I kind of looked, I've always looked like about 10 years ahead of me at every instance. Mm. Like I'm sitting down here, I'm 63 this year. And uh, I'm looking at what would happen when I'm, or how would it be when I'm 73? And uh, so while I was, when I was 17, I, I saw that many people wanted to be doctors, many people wanted to be lawyers, many people wanted to be engineers. And I wasn't, I hadn't made up my mind. Yeah. Then I went off sometime to watch Star Wars with a friend of mine at Plaza Cinema. Mm-hmm. And suddenly my mind, I, I started looking at people like George Lucas. Uh, Aaron Spelling, Steven Spielberg, the yeah. Indiana Jones series, yeah. and all of a sudden, yes. I started thinking about animations and thinking about film productions. But then, of course, back in the seventies, most parents wanted their children to go become medical doctors or some other mm. quote-unquote. Uh, professions that edify. Now, that was where we had a clash. That was where we had a clash. I definitely did not want to be an engineer or a a medical doctor or any of those things. Mm. So somewhere along the line, out of rebellion, I, 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 I chose to do fine art. Moreover, I had a teacher whom I admired, um, Bruce Onobrak Bear, and, you know, yeah. he, was, he took me home every day when I left boarding house. And I had that long discussion from uh, St. Gregory's College to Palm Grove Estate. So it left quite a lot of impression. And so I, I ended up mm. thinking more of high last and I, and I decided to take the exams. And so you're being whole, <laughs> unusual for an artist... You decided to be pragmatic. <laughs> oh, yes. You know, I, actually, I think I have always been pragmatic. It was later I realized that that was some bad planning because I later learned, I later learned, and when I came out of university and I found out that it was no longer, art was not a business model I was tailored to work with. Yeah. Now, so, but I did go to university. What, you didn't like the uncertainty of income or yes. what? Yes, I didn't like, I hated the uncertainty. In fact, it was my very first exhibition immediately after um, youth service at the museum, National Museum. And uh, after the exhibition, I had to go to my patrons to ask for my money. Mm. And I got all sorts of... Uh, uh, feedbacks. Yeah. It was at that point that it was a, it was at that Stories. point. Yes, that was a, it was at that point that I said, hey, 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 you're not going to feed your children. This is not a business model you want to follow. No, that was, I, as I drew the line. And at that point, I just moved to my second choice graphics because I majored in painting and photography. Right. I went to my second choice graphics. Yeah. For there about I met a couple of people who were, some people who were really nice and uh, who, who thought, who were, who, who were forward thinking. 
a man called Deligua Danagbesi Yakubu. Well, this is a nice, a nice lead-in to my second question. You were at Newswatch between 1984 and 1993. First of all, tell me, Deligua has become, his story has become like a legend now. What was he like as a person? What was he like to work with? Okay. Um, Dele, I refer to as my boy. There was no love lost between him and I. <laughs> okay. You know. Explain that. When you have a boss who was nice to you, yeah. but who would fire you at the drop of a hat. He was professional. Yes. You know, that's the problem we have in the country where people hire people based on where they come from, based on their relationship and proximity and stuff like that. Well, Dedegiwa employed me. Mm. And he wasn't like, he didn't employ me because he liked me. You have your bits and you must deliver. You don't deliver, you're out of the door. You're yep. just out. And so I worked with him for eight years. I worked with Newswatch for eight years and six months. In those eight years and six months, I was, was the happiest time in my life the happiest time in my life because yeah. I didn't feel more responsible than I needed to be. So both as an artist, as a color separator, as a production manager, as an art editor, I ran three magazines. There was a co, there was quality, and there was Newswatch. And I didn't feel right. put upon at any point. Right, because you were working with professionals or what? Oh, yes, we were all... You know, we were a newsroom. The newsroom experience is a totally different experience. You know, everybody lets their hair right. down, and we we had the women in the in the office who cooked the nights we need to sleep in the office. Everybody sleeps in the office, and then the women will take money from the account yeah. department. Now they make meals, and they will eat. And before you know what's happening, you've done two days in the office without <laughs> even noticing it. That's where I think... Uh, uh, now, where, where was I, your office? Where was your at office or, at that time? At, at Oregon. 62 Oregon Road. Go, wow. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you had Delegiwa, you had Ray Ekpu yes. as well? Yes. I mean, they've gone down in history. Yeah. Yes. The first managing director of Newswatch was um, Dan Agbisi. Oh, wow. Within the first two months, or even month, uh, Delegiwa, they had their first boardroom squabbles and uh, the musical chair changed so Delegua became the editor-in-chief right and uh, Ray became the deputy editor-in-chief was it was it very competitive in the in the newsroom there i would uh, no 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 it, it wasn't oh they were all just professional they were just yeah they were they were all so very professional and everybody learned Everybody knew their bit. You, you didn't have, you know, there was no, nobody had time. Right. We had a re- relationship that was quite amorphous. You could walk into the editor in chief's office yeah. and tell him what you watch is on your mind. There were no ladders. You, you didn't have to go through anybody to walk into the editor in chief. You pick up the phone and you call the editor in chief and tell him, hey, this is what I don't agree on, with you on this. I know quite a number of people who disagreed with Deligua and somewhere along the line got fired because. For some reason, they were wrong. So I got into that, that free a couple of times. Okay. But I mean, this sounds like the golden age of journalism in Nigeria. But I mean, who owned Newswatch at that time? Yeah. 
It's a Nigerian thing. The only person who can tell you how Newswatch came about and uh, what the structure was right now is a, is a, is a gentleman called Delia Wokoya. Delia Wokoya was... What does he do? He's a lawyer. He worked with Ganifa with me. And they structured okay. the articles and memorandum of association, Newswatch. Yes. However, after Dele Gewa's death, uh, a whole lot of things. Yeah. There were a whole lot of mixes that even those of us who were staff never really understood after that. Because um, initially we were given the impression that the staff had 5% shareholding. So almost all of us then, we were young, I think I was 24, 23, you know, we all look like, oh yeah, we've got shares in this business. But um, when we realized that we didn't have shares... You were working your guts out. Oh, you did everything, (laughs) you know, we did everything. We did everything, you know, that was actually... when, When did you find out you didn't have shares? When did you find out you didn't have shares? I never found out that I didn't have shares. Never found out. I, I realized it that um, I realized it when Newswatch started going under. When Newswatch started bleeding. Right. So, how, how, why did it even start going under? What happened? What actually happened? Okay. Um, we're going to go into Delegua's uh, demise, but why did it? Because it was such an amazing magazine. I mean, it was. Uh, it was. Newswatch started going under after Delhi's death. Why do you think that was? I was the hands-on-deck person in Newswatch. The magazine, immediately after the yeah. editorials, I was given a cover. And because I had a cover... Right to produce. So I had, when I, by the time I became the art editor, I had a compographic, a lithographic, uh, the, a news, the, what do you call it, the arts, arts room, and uh, the photography departments. They all answered to me as the art editor. And uh, somewhere along the line, you saw everything as they played out. Mm. So we had a situation where I'd get a call or oh, change that cover or oh, change that story. Mm. And Nigerians, Nigerians are not very stupid. If they think or perceive that what you're giving them is they not what it yeah. is. So, uh, uh, you know. It's so, not authentic, yeah. Yeah, so I had, I had my issues with my bosses, especially when we say bleeding staff. People like, uh, mm. people in Tell Magazine walked out on us in 1991. And uh, I remember one night okay, I had they to... Went, they went to set up a new magazine. Yes. So I, I had to go at one point to go hire staff. Midnight, I mean, my, 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 my production... <laughs> I, product, yeah, I poached staff. I walked into newspapers and called <laughs> two, three people and told them, I said, listen, I need to produce this magazine and I have these problems and I need Tonight. you to come and work with Newswatch from today now. And they, they go like, what about salaries? I don't, don't worry about the salaries. I'll negotiate your salary tomorrow morning. <laughs> I did that. I did that. So when, especially when Tell, Tell moved with yes. virtually all my key production staff one night. Oh, and, no. and that oh. night, I recall driving through the, the newspapers, magazines, uh, I think it was the Sunday, the Sunday newspaper, the Sunday Times, run by uh, Elio Bassi. So I went there here and there, 
And I took, I approached his staff. I simply told him, hey, well, how much do you want to get paid? He says, oh, you know, in those days, about <laughs> 5,000, 6,000 per annum, and you're on a salary of 4,500, I'll, I'll give you your salary. And then the following morning, I'm marching to the HR and chief's office. I say, I hired this person, I hired this person, and this. At and, this price. Yeah. <laughs> and it went on like that. But I, I had, it had its toll on me. It had its toll on me. Yes. And uh, at, at some point, even the directors... It was unsustainable. Yeah, even, even the directors lost sight of the fact that what was going on was actually of their own making. Yeah. And so it's like when you turn around and uh, you lash out at your own people. Yeah. So on one of those occasions, I just, I just resigned. That was it. <laughs> but you were there when Delegiwa was killed. Oh, yes. Oh, you yes. were there when Delegiwa was killed. So t- talk to me about that day. Oh, well. Delegiwa's death, uh, one of those things. We were preparing a cover on Wolishin Cancer Nobel right. Prize. And uh, daily, I was supposed to produce stuff and bring it to Delhi's uh, house for 10 a.m. Okay. Uh, I walked in the office till very late. And um, I went off to a nightclub, the roof nightclub. <laughs> and then yes. I got back about 5.30 in the morning and slept off and overslept. Yeah. And by the time I, I got to Dilly's house, they were pulling him out. Wow. So by the time I got to his house, they, they were pulling him out and taking him to the ambulance to First Foundation. It was a gory sight. But um, basically, Dilly oh, died October 19, 1986. And thereafter, everything started going down. Yes, of course. Were, were you all, the remaining people at Newswatch, were you all sort of scared then to write anything? We were not. We were not scared. Ah. Recall that um, after Delegua died, we did a, a story, the Cookie Gum Report, or the Cookies Report, I can't remember. And we were banned, I think, for yeah. about six months. We were not, we were not scared because Dele had infused in us a kind of... Um, yeah. I mean, I, I was doing some two nights a week to produce Newswatch, and I didn't notice it. Yeah. So by the time Daily died, it was a given. It was a lifestyle. We, we produced a magazine, quality magazine, and we stood by it. Yeah. But thereafter, the quality started dropping, and I, I was there. And I think I, I was well-educated to know that, hey, this yeah, is not... this isn't just, what we... Yeah. And then the rest of the people... Suddenly the sales, you can imagine a man who, had, who could go to the printers twice a week to be able to satisfy the market, mm. only for you to start having some returns uh, because people are not buying. Ah. They say you can't make a, a monkey out of God's gorilla. So each time you made a monkey of the people. So you, know, you were aware that the quality was not good. You were aware that the quality was dropping. That, that was exactly why... I walked out on them. It, it wasn't... Yes, yes. You see, that's a point in my life that I've always been grateful to God for. I have been grateful mm-hmm. to God for what I call a knee-jerk reaction to a statement made by a direct, by, mm-hmm. my director. And I turned around and I looked at him and stood up in the middle of a editorial meeting and I said, 
I see that um, you don't have confidence in me. I've designed and redesigned your magazine three times this year, and yet we're not getting returns. Now you wake up in the morning and you call an advertising agency to come and redesign your, your magazine, right? And I say, well, wow. okay. so I say, well, it shows that you don't have any confidence in me. And if you don't have any confidence in me, I have no business being here. And I got up and I said, gentlemen, you will you see my letter of resignation tomorrow. And this was in an editorial meeting. This was it. I got up from that editorial meeting and walked out. And that was, it wasn't the last day. I, 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 the following day, I gave him a letter of resignation and I stayed for three more months because that was what I was supposed to do. And that was it. I, I was gone. But I'll let, let you into that experience. Why I think that was the most, um, that was the pivotal point in my life. I had been married for nice. a year. I had a baby boy who is now 32. Or 33, I don't know. <laughs> I guess there, were, there was a mixture of frustration and there was a mixture of... Uh, um, what I was kind of uncomfortable because you have a salary, right? You were spending that salary on yourself, yeah. Then you get married, so you got a, you got a wife, you are sharing that salary, yep. Then you have a baby, yep. Then you're sharing a baby, with, then there's yeah, a house, times, then there's a housemate, expenses times three, no, no, times five. Yeah. Then my housemate and my sister, and my sister in law, all of a sudden, ah. it, it was choking me. But I couldn't place it. It was later on yes. that I realized what was happening. So I, I know I stopped in the editorial board, editorial meeting, and I walked out. Mm. So when I walked out, I went downstairs. There was a, there was a bar somewhere. I had a beer. People were coming around telling me, oh, so you, you don't do this. You don't do this. And I was like, I've already said, I've already told my bosses that I'm leaving. I won't take my word back. But I was worried that I had made that decision. Yeah. I was really worried that I had made that decision. you had liability at home. I had a, a wife of less than one year. I had a baby. Yeah. And I was like, how are we going to do this? How am I going to tell this girl that I've worked out of my job? I know I can get another job. But I'm now unemployed. <laughs> so I say walking home with trepidation. I get to my house. And I looked, she greeted me, and I greeted her, and she goes, and I tell her, I said, honey, I've made one of the worst mistakes of my life. And she goes, <laughs> what? She goes, what mistakes? I say, I've just walked out of my job. I just resigned out of anger. Mm. She stood there and looked at me again, and she said, I was expecting her to, ex to explode. And she stood there, and yeah. she, looked at, she looked at me. What did you just say? I said, I have walked out of my job. And uh, I don't have a job. You know what this woman did? She just went on her knees and she started thanking God. Oh. She asked her, why, why are you, oh. why, what are you praying for? She said, Uzo, I have watched you work for these guys for one year. You kill yourself mm. for me and the children and the child and these people. And I don't see what you're getting out of it, but you love your job. Oh, how lovely. And she says, you know what? If you work like this for yourself, for us, the sky is on the limit. And that's why I am here today. Your wife, I mean, she had faith. She had real faith in you. In fact, she was the one that had the faith. I didn't have faith. 
the love of an African woman. <laughs> so immediately my three months was over. Whatever money I had, I rented an office in Nepal. I said, going there every morning, I would arrive there by six o'clock, by seven o'clock in the morning, and sit on a table I had. Waiting for work? And I said, wondering. And from there, I'd go out. Oh, but, you know, I now got jobs. And I, I, I made quite good with them. No, but, I mean, now, I just can't believe your journey because you were in the newspaper business at the peak of it the golden age of magazines and newspapers, and you went on to do your own. What do you think of the state of play now in Nigeria? Because, I mean, we have quite a few publications, not to talk of the online ones. What do you think? There was a time when you stop at Ikeja bus stops and people would gather around the vendors to read Maybe not so much. But today, basically everybody has a palm top or a, a digital so you you can get everything so for uh, by the time i started publishing i think my first two yeah. issues were hard copies mm. but by 2006 i've gone fully online yes by so was that with your energy energy news, energy news yes so I, I i worked mainly as a production man for other newspapers. So, but who are those doing what you're doing now? Who are those? Because you've left Nigeria. You're, you've made a new life. That, that's all gone now because with my Computer. mobile phone, I can edit. Yes. I, I don't need a photographer. I, I can <laughs> pick and my news, I can actually do my news on a chat GPT. GPT, yes. So what remains on your bucket list? Oh, What is it that you still want to do? Because you've lived in Nigeria. You've done everything in newspaper. You've done everything in color. I haven't done anything. I haven't, I haven't done anything. <laughs> okay, what do you want to do? What, what do you still want to do? My bucket list yeah. still goes on and on. I have Yellowstone to go see. I like to see yeah. the old Giza. Uh, okay. I'd like to go to... I'd like to go to the Serengeti. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that's in Africa. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, that. it's like, I know what I want to do. I'd like to go to Yellowstone, Grand Canyon. Yeah. I'd like yeah. to go to the Serengeti and spend, mm-hmm. during the migration, and spend time watching the animals, maybe do some drawings. Yeah. Maybe do some drawings. Those are the kind of yeah. things that will make me happy. So you haven't left your art behind, sure? No, 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 no. <laughs> it's just bad business model. It was yeah. just bad. Okay. I, I, I wasn't. I didn't have. I, I didn't have. I don't have the temperament of a, a Bruce Ono Black Bear. I don't have the temperament of okay. of, of, of a Ella Natsui. Yeah. You see, what will make me come back to this is that at the beginning I did tell you that um, I had an experience, and most that leads to what I would call post-traumatic stress disorder. I had a childhood. I saw the war, Nigerian war. I was yes. in Biafra. I lost three years of education. And all my life, it has guided me that my children should never see the kind of thing I saw during the war. Right. So right from the moment I started thinking 
So you're pro- not you're not a believer in the iPod project? That's, that's stupid. That's stupid. Yeah. I'm, I, I need to say that outright because I yeah. was seven years old when the war started and my parents yeah. were in England. So I was like yeah. farmed around like an orphan. I lost three years of schooling yes. and I came out of it. I, I'm so strong now that you can't, like Clint Eastwood would say, you can't piss on my back and tell me it's raining. Mm. So for me, I don't, I don't mind restructuring Nigeria. Yeah, I mean, everybody agrees on that, I think. Yeah. But what you need to understand is that the people who are talking don't even understand what they're talking about. Of course not. I think it's more emotive than practical. No, uh, you know, and I think it's maybe just a matter of equity. I guess they just uh, want no, 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 no. I don't think it's equity. Are they serious? Not as serious, serious, but you see, because you see, they say you can't give what you don't have. Right. Right. Yeah. Compare yeah. Nigeria to Rwanda. Yeah. Right. Nigeria went through a genocide. Nigeria mm. went through a war crime in Asaba. Now, right. after all said and done. Rwanda came back, and what you hear in Rwanda is you are a Rwandese, you're not a Bukutu or a Hutu or a Bukutu yeah. or whatever. A Tutsi or Hutu. Now, there in Nigeria, you have that our leaders who claim that they went to war to keep Nigeria won, never at, have not at any point addressed the reason why they went to war. That means they don't understand. That is what tells no, but me. But I think, I think. I think you're being a little bit um, selective on that. No, 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 the re- no, no, no. It's not that. It's just that. Which part of our consciousness have they ever examined? This is not just the war. It's everything. No, but it's you know, everything. We're not I, one I'm for. You know, we're not one. We're not one for reflection. <laughs> so it's, it's, that is exactly. They just do why. as if things didn't happen. That's that's who we are. That, you see, that's a, that's, that's exactly why. Are. That's what, exactly why I opt and left by 1999. Yeah. I had started planning this move to America. Wow. By 1999. My last child was born in 1999. And I said, hey, you start working to get these kids. They, they have to, I always plan for them to have a second, an option. Not even me. Yeah. It's so, heartbreaking though. So it's, it is I, heartbreaking. I, I'm, I'm, of, I'm of the Kunta Kinti school. Okay. <laughs> I'm I'm totally you know of that of that and and people will say oh yes you can you can be you you've got that privilege because you you have a choice you can you know but I just think it's so heartbreaking that we have to do that and um, I believe that what everybody I believe that everybody has to have a choice I guess so but the point is the choice is making us not look after what we have. Because you feel there's a choice, you just bail. No, 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 no. I think so. If you have no choice, you're going to work on it. No, you see, it's like a marriage. It's like a marriage. Yes. If you know that you have to work at it, there's no shortcut. There's no divorce. I agree you. will knuckle under. But if your eyes are constantly outside and you're having a girlfriend just in case this one doesn't work out. Anyway, let's put that to one side. Okay. Okay, so Sunday morning, church or chill? Uh, I church and I chill. Most <laughs> times I try not to church in Nigeria. But what church do you go to in, in the U.S.? I'm Catholic. Over the years, I sit down 
uh, on Sunday mornings out here, I think uh, I, I do find spirituality. Okay, but not necessarily organized religion. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't, it doesn't have to be. Just that everybody who has come into church has come to pray, to find spirituality. You can find spirituality. Here in Nigeria, the church is like a celebration, a party. People come to show their <laughs> it's cars. It's for community. It's and for community. Uh, it's the pastors turn it into... It's for networking. Is it? Well, that's Is what it? a lot of the churches are. It's well, I, I have friends. Yeah, I have friends who are pastors mm. who drive Rolls Royce. Yep, and know. their congregation seems to like it. Yes, for them. And so <laughs> I, I, I go if I go to church in Nigeria, it's like a, a market emptying out or emptying in. Yeah, and uh, I can't find the spirituality. So <laughs> I like to, I like to church out here. On Sunday morning, but if I'm in Nigeria, I chill. Oh, chill. Okay, gotcha. So, who do you admire most? I don't admire anybody. No, not even. I love Jesus Christ. Oh, that's a good one. And why do you like Jesus Christ so much? I said, that's a good one. Well, why do you like, what is it about Jesus that you you relate to? Sometimes I go back and I I kind of take take that man and I say, what does it take for somebody to change the thinking, the civilization for thousands of years, yeah. for, you know, time and again, new people come out with new ideas about that concept of being who he, who he was or who he projected at his time. Now, if I take ordinary human beings, I can say, oh, Mahatma Gandhi, I can yeah. say, oh, Martin Luther King. Oh, I can say, what's his name? Uh, Nelson Mandela. Mm. And for some people who don't even understand, I have people like and, uh, Julius Nyerere mm. and the man of Zambia, uh, Kaun- Kaunda. I can go on and on and on and yeah. on. Yeah, I-, I can go on and on and on. And I can look at a whole lot of people and I say, virtually everybody I have met has been a product of his own genetic defects mm. or the circumstances of his time. Yeah. So if you find somebody who has a genetic, uh, who is prone to be quiet, sit down and let's see them like Makande, you know, that kind of quiet resistance, it works for him. But you also find people like Malcolm X who just wouldn't take it. Yeah. So I find that someone like um, uh, Nelson Mandela who can sit in prison for 27 years <laughs> and refuse. Job. But I also find out that there were some people like, uh, you know, there are people like Gaddafi, yeah, for whose for whose for one reason or the other they instill fear on their position. So I can't admire anybody because I see it as your 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 makeup, where you yeah. find yourself, and how your makeup allows for at you to time. deal with that situation at that point. So I look at Jesus Christ and I say, wow, I got me a guy here who I can. Yeah. Look at his, what he says and how he behaves. And I think it's not being a Christian. It's not playing politics with Christianity. It's just knowing that, hey, we have some principles to live by. And this guy kind of shows me the way to the kind of principles yeah. I'd like of the life I'd like to I live. I get that. Period. So I don't admire anybody. So what are you reading at the moment? What are you reading at the moment? And the, last, the, last, the last thing I read was... Um, the 
economic hitman. Okay, yeah, I the read that. Hit. Yeah, one of my yes, one of John my Perkins. one of my previous guests recommended that I read that, and that was a real education for me. Oh yeah, I read Economic Hitman. Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, one of my favorite authors is Malcolm Gladwell. Okay, the power of blink. But Malcolm, uh, you know, David and Goliath, the outliers. Yeah. I'm, just, I'm just a bit skeptical of all these uh, people who come up with all these, you know, it just seems rather glib, but I don't know. What do I know? But I listen to podcasts. Yes. I listen to mainly Harvard uh, Ideacast, Harvard Business Review. And uh, yeah. I love to listen to a feel-good preacher called um, Joel Austin. Okay, I've heard about it. So I'm not, reading, noticed, I'm not reading. I'm not reading. I hope you are impressed that I refrain from asking if you listen to our podcast. Um, I, I listened to the last one with uh, Dustin Wong. Okay, and I'm, I'm impressed. I like it. I'm, I like it. And you did, you did ask him a question that that I I, I delved into. Yes. In my spare time, that which is, was um, that bringing Nigerian art back for him. Okay, and, uh, yes. Look, and, uh, yes. And, uh, what are your thoughts on that? The day you it's... build, the day you build a museum, yeah. And the day ten people decide to use AK forty seven to come and access what you have in that museum, yes, they will access it. And those, oh, those, because I, I, I do remember that um, the National Museum, yeah had about 90 pieces of artwork stolen in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, if we go back today, you probably might not see up to 15. A lot of the Ubu so stuff. The people who... Yeah, but that is changing, yes. though, because nowadays they can't even sell those things because the world is uh, alive to, yeah. to these things. And those who took them are having difficulty selling them. You see, the, my problem with that I hear you. My problem with that is that, um, yes, the world is changing. But I also see a situation where you have the underground art, art market. Yeah. See, today, you can find some of the, some of the artworks stolen by Nazis. Yeah, I know. Still... Are in private museums. Yes, but so you see... If you have Ubuku... Yeah. Uh, piece, yeah, or Quinidia piece, yeah, stolen, yeah, and uh, you have a Russian who's willing to pay you the money just to keep it in in his private museum. Yeah, I'm be looking at it. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah, it's gone. It's gone. Are the people in government really sincere about bringing those things back and about saving those things? Well, it in seems Nigeria? they are. I mean... And if you what um, this gentleman was talking about is that you're looking at them as works of art, that they're not works yes. of art. And if you look at it through a different, uh, that different prism, then the whole argument is, is, is a different framing, isn't it? It's a different framing. I'm saying, yeah, whether it's spiritual or whether it's work of art, what it means to me is what it means to me. If somebody from Russia comes here and is willing to give somebody in Nigeria for today's Nigeria, willing to give somebody $200,000 to break into that museum 
and get him three or four pieces. Not yeah, to worry but, they're, but, but they're breaking out. into museums in, in Belgium. In, uh, I mean, there's some pieces of art that are still missing till today in front of everybody with all their security, with all the security. They're still doing it. You see, the, the thing is that if you can break into the museum in England and yep. take them away, you can actually find a dedicated uh, investigative Artsy. force that yep. will try to get it. But if you break into a museum in Nigeria, in Nigeria, in Benin City, <laughs> and you cut those things, how, how, how many of those farmers can you get? You don't have a police force that will, will, will determine to find it. You don't have a security system that will determine to protect it. You don't have a government official that understand what you are talking about, whether it's art or whether it's spirituality. So you're dealing with a system that is upside down. Yeah. And so if you go back, no matter how you, you build a museum in Benin City, in Obas Compound, they, they decide that, okay, fine, 200 of us are coming here and we are going to spend three hours to get those things. You need a battalion of soldiers whom you cannot move from Ugedi <laughs> to Benin by the time they finish. I, I'm, I'm, see, I'm seeing Nigeria the way I see it. Yeah, I'm not yeah. going to say, don't do it. Take the Minister of Culture, for instance. How does the Minister of Culture and Information, whatever he is called, does he understand the concept of Benin arts from the angle that the keepers of that arts will understand it? Today, the, the current culture, the minister. That's why they're saying that it's not even going to government. Governor wants to get involved, but it's going to its home, its spiritual home. And these guys will guard it with their lives because it's important to them. You know, they don't I want it so. to be in a government pray, thing. They don't want it. They want it to be in I the palace so. where they, where they worship, they worship these things. They, you know, it's part of their spirituality. So anyway, let's, let's drop that. So what are you listening to? What music are you listening to? Yeah, this guy called Gato Barbieri. Okay. Gato Barbieri. And uh, I listen to, as of today, I'm listening to a guy called Andrew Lloyd Swaber. Oh, wow. He's more of a theater man, isn't he? Jesus Christ. Superstar. Superstar. Okay, yeah. Joseph and his amazing technical dream coach. Yes. Uh, there's a, there was a, a, a silly song that we used to sing when we were young. Georgie Best, superstar. He oh, looks like a woman yes. wears a bra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, calling, I'm listening to Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. And I'm reading the script written by a guy called Satim Rice. Okay, yeah, the, the lyricist. The, he was a lyricist. Yes. And they worked yes. very well and, together uh, for years. Yes, yes. Those are the two people I'm dealing with now. But I've gone through the whole gamut. Fascinating, yeah. So what are you watching on Netflix or HBO or whatever it is they watch in the US? That's another hard one because I don't watch... You I'm don't. News, well, I'm that's a, a fine. News junkie. Yeah, I know. I mean, you're a newspaper I'm man. A of course, junkie. you'll be a newspaper junkie. Yeah. <laughs> yes. First and foremost, I don't do seasons. Right. Yes. I mean, so because I my don't attention have, span I don't is have so the short. Yes. I mean. Yes, I don't have the patience for seasons. Yeah. If you can't give me one good movie, 
forget it. It's, it's, you know? it's, it's so, so, uh, too much commitment, uh, uh, you know. It's just too much yes, commitment. Yes. Okay, so describe yourself in three words. I am dependable. Yeah, okay. I am dependable. Yes. I am trustworthy. Oh, that's trustworthy. good. Trustworthy. Yeah. If I tell you, I will do it. Yeah. Take it as a given. It's not okay. open to discussion. I think your family would then appreciate it. Then the last one is that I... Oh, that's why I, that's why I have a family. Then yes. I am blunt. Over the years, I've been able to know myself and be able to handle yeah. myself and yeah. live with myself. And like you say, you still have a family, so you can't be doing too badly. Well, I'm surviving. Yes. Okay. So tell me a joke. Oh, joke. I had one yesterday morning okay. from Joel Austin. He, he said, uh, he said um, a Catholic. Yeah. A Baptist minister mm-hmm. and uh, an evangelist. Okay. Died at the same day, and they went to they went to they went to heaven. Okay. And Peter said to them, "Sorry, um, your rooms are not ready right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, do me a favor. Let me." He called Satan and said, "Satan, can you make up make a room for a couple of hours while I make up rooms for these guys for a couple of hours while while I set up a place I get theirs ready. And yeah. about less than one hour, Satan calls and says, "Hey, Peter, better come and take these guys back." Uh- <laughs> Here, the Catholic is forgiving. The Catholic is forgiving everybody. The Baptist is uh, saving everybody, and the evangelist has set up a, a, a fund to cool the whole of hell. Nah, <laughs> get these guys out of hell. Out of hell. So oh that, that, uh, that, I had that yesterday from uh, Joel Austin. Oh, that's oh. brilliant. And it's a clean one, too. You've done really well. Thank you so much. You've been such a fascinating guest. How do people get hold of you if they want to get hold of you? My email address? Uzo.unzogu at gmail.com. Okay. How do you spell this? Uzo.unzogu at hotmail.com. N-Z-E-O-G-U. Okay. And are you on LinkedIn or Twitter? Yes, I am. I am on LinkedIn as Uzo.unzogu. I'm LinkedIn. I'm I'm, I'm on Twitter as uh, Energy News. Okay. So we'll, we'll definitely be checking you out. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time, the effort. Thank you. God bless.